Welcome to the Alumni Audio Lab. This is our issue number nine. The Alumni Audio Lab is the podcast of the OED, which is the Austrian Agency for International Mobility and Cooperation in Education, Science and Research. My name is Doris Bauer and I talk with alumni of our organization who all studied or researched in Austria within different scholarship programs. They work in many different disciplines, are very successful there. And we talk about their life, the research, the background, and about current events. My guest today is Dr. Kalkidan Negash Opse from Ethiopia. Kalkidan, I'm very happy that you're here, as you have such an interesting career and life to look back on, but also to look forward to. You're very involved in human rights and yes. in law, especially international law, but also university politics. And since the beginning of 2016, you are president of the Dilla University in Dilla Town in the south of Ethiopia. Yes. Congratulations to that. Thank you very much. You started your studies in Addis Abeba, the capital of Ethiopia. Yes. With a bachelor in law, then you moved for your master to Miami, to Florida. Yes. yes. <laughs> And your PhD brought you to Austria from 2012 to 2015. You've been a PhD scholarship holder sure. within the APEAR program, which is the Austrian Partnership Program in Higher Education and Research for Development and the program of the Austrian Development Corporation. Kalkidan, welcome to the Alumni Audio Lab. Thank you for having me. At the beginning of our podcast, I want to start with your beginning in academia. What brought you to studying law in the first way? I think I had interest in legal issues, questions of justice and human rights from early on. I was interested in democracy, on the question of democracy, particularly given the fact that I live in a country that's just starting with the process of democratization. I've been thinking a lot from early on about these issues And I think that's why I found law to be a natural home for me from early on. How did you get in contact with the issues of democracy as a um, pre-student? I used to read uh, local newspapers and also follow international news. So I, I had interest in politics, local politics as well as global politics. Perhaps that's the reason why I uh, got interested in issues of, you know, transition from authoritarianism to democracy and the issues um, involving the transition process. And your second geographical step took you to, to Miami, as yes. I just said. It sounds like a quite nice place to study there. <laughs> yes. um, why did you decide it for this destination? Or was it the university? Was it the, the study program? I think the reason why I went to Miami was because Miami has such a, you know, a cool, you know, reputation. <laughs> I initially applied for different universities, uh, for admission to different universities, mainly in the US. And finally, I was undergoing a serious admission process with uh, the University of Michigan and also the St. Thomas University located in Miami. So finally, I made my decision based on basically the weather. <laughs> you know, that, that might sound funny, but I don't like cold weather. So I chose Miami as the right destination for my study. 
And then finally in 2012, you skipped the warm weather in Ethiopia and Miami and you came to Austria, to Graz. Yes. Which can be quite cold and dark in winter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what made you choose then Austria? I think it was uh, an accident, I might say. <laughs> Not accident in the in the negative sense, <laughs> but uh, accident in the sense that uh, I happened to to you meet. Wanted to go to Australia? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not like that. <laughs> I'm not here uh, by spelling mistake. <laughs> no, <laughs> not like that. But it was uh, that I I made my uh, future PhD supervisor, Professor uh, Wolf Wolfgang Benedict, in Addis Ababa. I think it was in the year uh, 2011. He was there to discuss with our institution, the Center for, hum for Human Rights at Addis Ababa University. We were interested to launch a program of cooperation with, with the University of Graz. So actually, that was the first time that I learned about Graz, the city of Graz, and the University of Graz. I had no idea of such a city existing in, in the world. <laughs> so in that sense, it was an accident. But then I liked Professor Wolfgang Benedict, who is uh, a professor of international law at the Institute of International Law and International Relations at the University of Graz. I realized that we, have, we had common interests. Professor Benedict had interest in regional organizations, and democratization, the role of regional organizations and the process of democratization and human rights, including the African Union. So because of these overlapping research interests, I then decided that I might apply for my PhD at the University of Graz. Actually, that was a suggestion first made by Professor Benedict, and I totally grabbed the opportunity and then came to Austria, and I'm, I'm glad that I did that, that, I made that decision. Yes, and was, what was your PhD thesis about? My thesis was on uh, the role of the African Union in promoting constitutionalism and democracy in Africa. So basically I was looking at the question of what role, if any, the African Union can play in promoting constitutional rule and constitutional governance in the African context. Can you say a few words on the African Union? Because I think not everyone knows about the African Union. The African Union is the main regional intergovernmental organization in Africa, something uh, similar to the European Union. That's perhaps where uh, the, the name comes from, because it was more or less modeled on the EU when it was restructured from the pre-existing organization of African unity. So the organization of African unity was founded in 1963 in Addis Ababa, which is the, the, still the seat of the African Union. And then it was then transformed gradually to the current regional organization, the African Union. So it's, it's something like the EU in Africa. And you thesis it, it was about a constitutional law. Can, can you say it again? I'm sorry. My, my thesis was on the question of what role can the African Union play in promoting constitutional governance in Africa. There are some interesting legal frameworks, treaties signed under the auspices of the African Union to promote constitutional rules in Africa. 
the most important one was the African Charter on Democracy, Elections and Governance. This was a very ambitious legal instrument for an international instrument. Ambitious in the sense that it talks a lot about components of the, the various components of constitutional rule and constitutional governance. For long, the African Union has been interested in the question of unconstitutional changes of government. The African continent is known for, uh, as you know, for coups. There were a lot of coup d'etat in African countries since the time uh, of independence of African countries. So this, is, this was a prevalent problem taken up by formerly the Organization of African Unity in its late years, in the 1990s. And then it became, uh, you know, one of the most important rules and standards of the African Union. But over time, and particularly with the adoption of the African Charter on Democracy, Elections and Governance, the interest of the African Union on issues of constitutional rule and governance extended beyond the prohibition of unconstitutional changes of government and uh, went to questions of, you know, prescribing particular standards of democracy and constitutional governance, which is which I found quite interesting because normally international standards do not cover issues of domestic political governance, with the exception of, uh, let's say, human rights standards. The African Charter on Democracy, Elections and Governance deals with a range of constitutional issues, separation of powers, civilian control of the military, presidential term limits, although this is a bit indirect. So there are aspects of the Charter that I found quite interesting from the theoretical perspective. Uh, one question I dealt with in my, in my dissertation was what legitimacy the regional organization has to prescribe you know, constitutional standards for its member states. And what uh, did you find? I mean, it's, it's problematic because although modeled on the European Union, organs of the African Union do not have popular mandates, so to say. You know, commissioners of the African Union are not elected by African citizens. So the, the democratic element in the constitution of the regional organization is missing. But despite that, the organization has been quite aggressive, at least rhetorically, and uh, overambitious in terms of prescribing standards of constitutional rule and governance. So the question is, where does it get the legitimacy to do so? Its institutions are not democratically established. So that's one problem I had to grapple with in my, di my dissertation. I think we could talk about that the whole podcast, but we have to go on as you have so much interesting <laughs> things to talk about. I've read your article in the last Appear publication, which is titled of PhD, Beer and Red Bull, My Student Life in Austria. It gives a very nice personal view on the Austrians from a foreign view. What did you experience when you came to Austria for the first time? Uh, Not on the university, but in, yeah, in around the, that, yeah, in social your daily life, life social, social life. Daily life. I think it was a very interesting experience for me. I mean, it is challenging 
in a way, in some sense, because uh, I didn't speak the language then, and I don't still speak the language. <laughs> so the language element was the main challenge when I arrived here. But there was also, you know, a cultural dimension. But I always consider myself to be a world citizen. So I, I believed that I would be able to live anywhere in the world. And I, I like interacting with people from different traditions, countries, civilizations. But theoretically, this, this is something fascinating. But in practice, it can be challenging. For me, the main challenge was so language. I did a PhD in international law, and the, the main uh, medium of instruction was in English for that particular program, uh, which is not quite common in Austrian universities. Mostly, most of the academic programs offered by Austrian universities are offered in German. But nowadays, this is changing. And uh, so my particular program was in English. So I had a good, a good excuse, you know. <laughs> I don't need it. <laughs> and I found, you know, a small enclave for myself within the broader Austrian society, an enclave, you know, composed of, consisting of international students uh, and some Austrians who spoke English. So found my small world, justified my, I don't know what you call it, it could be laziness or something. <laughs> and then, yeah, uh, lived my life like that. So it is fascinating because you learn a lot from other cultures there is a lot to learn from Austrian society. But what interested me most, something I also mentioned in that piece, was the similarities between Austrian society and Ethiopian society. This is something I also alluded to in that piece. How do they look like, the similarities? Similarities. Some of the similarities are, for instance, both societies tend to be a bit hierarchical uh, in, in nature. That is one thing. What else? I mean, we both have a federal system composed of nine regional states at the political level. <laughs> <laughs> what else? I've mentioned a couple of similarities there. Could you remind me some? So there were some important similarities. You know, our countries are mainly mountainous countries both Austria and Ethiopia. And I thought, I don't know how, how you look at it from your perspective, but I thought both countries tend to be a bit shut off from the outside world. Both societies pride themselves of their great historical past, you know, historical tradition. Maybe one reason, you know, to a bit shut off. So I found some interesting similarities between the two societies. And I found it fitting that Ethiopia once used the Austrian currency, uh, official currency, the Maria Th Theresa Thaler. Oh, really? Yes, uh, in the past. So we got some interesting some similarities, connections, connections yes, but also differences, obviously. Yes. One major difference is, of course, the rich democratic culture you have in Austria. I found it really interesting to look at the different student clubs and student associations in Austria. You know, 
you have student groups, student clubs along the major party lines. I don't know, you have the socialists, you have the social democrats, communists, communists uh, everyone. So the student organizations here are explicitly political, for instance. And I think that's a good thing because, in my opinion, you practice democracy at the, you know, at the grassroots level, so to say. People, you know, vote in different contexts. People campaign in different contexts at school, at, at the lo locality. I find it quite interesting also from the intellectual point of view. In our case, the school context, particularly higher education, I don't know how to put it, <laughs> it is not open for all kinds of you know, political organizing. Mm -hmm. uh, so while in universities, students are expected to focus on their education and you don't have explicit political organizing taking place in our universities. So some, that's something I found quite interesting and perhaps something we could learn from Austrian society. Just one example. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then let's come now to university because besides law and human rights, which we will talk about later about the human rights, uh, you were involved in university politics already after your bachelor uh, degree in 2005. You started working in the Office for Strategic Planning and Reform as a legal researcher. Yes. There, besides others I've read, you've drafted a new university charter within a reform initiative at Addis Ababa University and worked also in other fields of university politics. Why are you so interested, interested in university politics? Hmm. I think it's again accident, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> What happened was uh, after I finished my first law degree at Addis Ababa University, the first job I had was to work at the uh, office, the office for strategic planning and reform, and I was there working as a legal researcher. I was really lucky to have that position because at the time the university was led by Professor Andreas Schete, who I would regard to be my intellectual mentor, and he was a visionary leader, a very democratic leader, and also he attempted to implement a lot of new ideas at, at the university, at Addis Ababa University. So this office was his creation. And as part of the office, I was lucky to have the opportunity to work together with Professor Andreas himself. And my immediate boss was Dr. Samuel Asafa, who was a, a close friend of Andreas Shete. Both were philosophers <laughs> and very, very interesting people to work with. They spent uh, much of their intellectual life abroad in the United States. So here you have people with a lot of new ideas that were never tried in the Ethiopian context. So from then on, I found it interesting to focus on education and particularly higher education governance. So I was involved in the drafting of uh, a university char charter. Well, that process was not completed because th there wasn't much political backing 
towards that effort. But we did reform the, the university's strategic plan. So I think perhaps it can be considered to be the first strategic, comprehensive strategic plan the university had. I, I'm happy to be part of that process, working with Professor Andreas. And also I was involved in the establishment of some new initiatives. For instance, we established an office of university ombudsperson, which was the first of its kind in Ethiopia. For, and for students or for professors or for everyone? For everyone. Mm -hmm. It can be used, approached by students, academic staff, administrative staff, anyone aggrieved by any administrative decision made against him could could use the service of this institution. And it's still existing. And I have now created a similar institution in my university because I realized how important such an institution is in promoting good governance and human rights within the university context. So that's one thing uh, I was involved in and really proud to be involved in. Yes, and you, and you stayed in this strategic area, or at least you're back there because you're now president of a university in the south of Ethiopia, at Dilla University, which is a relatively young university, I've yes. read. Um, what connects you to this university? Well, I was born in Yurgajefi. I don't know if you have heard of Yurgajefi. It is known for its uh, high-quality coffee. You don't. You, you told me earlier on that you don't like coffee. You no, don't, drink I don't drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I think you haven't tried Yergechefe coffee. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so I was born in Yergechefe and uh, grew up in a nearby town, Dilla, which is uh, the main ad administrative capital of uh, Gedio Zone. So I had that connection. I was from there, and I was in high school when. Dilla University was initially set up as uh, Dilla College of uh, Teacher Education and Teacher and Medical Education. This was in 1996? It was in 1996, yes. I, by then, I was, I was just a high school student and had the opportunity to witness the establishment of this uh, new college, excited about it, but then didn't have much connection to, 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 the, to this university because my intellectual life uh, was, uh, you know, spent mainly uh, working at Addis Ababa University and then doing my graduate degrees, postgraduate degrees in the US and here in Austria. It was after I returned back to Ethiopia with, with my PhD from the University of Graz that I was offered a position at Dilla University. And uh, I was initially offered the position of academic vice president at the university. And uh, initially, I didn't really take the offer seriously. Actually, the president then was uh, a friend of mine. And my initial response was, are you kidding me? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> But he wasn't. He wasn't. He was, he was quite serious. My reasons were, I mean, for one thing... I really wanted to be a free academic. <laughs> I didn't like the constraints of public office, you know. University leadership in the context of our country is like assuming 
you know, an official government position. So with it comes, you know, a lot of constraints. I didn't like that. So initially I just rebuffed the idea and I, I said no. But he kept insisting. <laughs> then at one point when, I don't know, like I was, I don't know, facing an existential crisis or something. <laughs> I, I took the adventure. <laughs> In a weak moment, okay. <laughs> so I took the adventure and joined the university. It was, it was a very challenging assignment. I assumed the role of academic vice president for a few months. And then I, I had, then I, 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 I was again offered the, office, the position of the president. So it was part accident, part adventure, but quite an overwhelming assignment and undertaking, particularly given the fact that uh, I am quite young for the job. University leadership in the Ethiopian context is quite complex. I think it, it really involves complex, a wide array of you know functions, mm -hmm. administrative functions. Uh, you are responsible for academic leadership, leadership in terms of academic governance, leading research efforts and community service efforts within the university, but also. It is your responsibility as university president to take care of, you know, student lives. We own dormitories and student cafeteria. So you have, we have to make sure that uh, students are well fed and uh, they live in, in, in good conditions. So in that sense, the assignment is, uh, was quite, still is quite overwhelming, I would say. But... I also consider it to be an opportunity to contribute because there is a lot you can do when you are a president of a university. So in that sense, for me, it, was, it has been a learning experience, a very humbling experience, a very overwhelming experience. So that's how I describe my, my role as president of Delhi University. And the Dillard University is at this time, according to the website, a mostly undergraduate um, university with a few master programs and I've seen one PhD program, yes, I yes, think. Yes. Why is there such a strong focus on the undergraduates? I think it's because of its background. It was initially founded as a college for teacher training and training of medical professionals. So that background had you know a lot of influence in how the university grew and operated after that it is essentially the university has been operating as a teaching university basically running undergraduate programs but now the university is considered a first generation university in the ethiopian context we have uh, a generational classification of universities And first-generation universities are expected not just to, to run traditional undergraduate programs, but we are also expected to focus on graduate studies and research. But we have not been really doing that so far. We have a few master's programs and one PhD, but apart from that, our focus on graduate, postgraduate program has been few and far uh, between, in between. So because of that, 
my focus as, as president of this university has been over the past year to focus on you know graduate programs and research programs so now we're planning to launch new master pro- master's programs and possibly phd programs but to that end we need to change our uh, staff profile at present most of our academic staff have just master's degrees mm-hmm. only about 10% of our staff have phd's which is quite normal for Ethiopian universities, actually. Mm-hmm. But this needs to change. And to that end, we are working heavily on uh, staff development, training our academic staff, PhD degrees at home and also abroad. And also we are hiring expatriate staff with PhD degrees. That's how we are trying to change the staff profile within this institution. Then we can, we can focus on... Um, launching new uh, master's programs, PhD programs, and also doing more research. I've read the speech on the website of the Dili University of yours, and you, you wrote there are 34 universities and 11 more upcoming in Ethiopia, which sounds quite a lot to me. Which demands do you see in a modern Ethiopian university? Because I assume there is a lot of, there, there may be competition between the universities. How do you want to reach the top with your university? Yes, right now we have uh, about 35 universities in that speech. Mm-hmm. That message, I, I mentioned 34, but now it is 35. So years ago, yes. Really. <laughs> yes, it keeps changing. So now I think 10 more coming. So in a year or so, we will have about 45 public universities. These are just public Publics. universities. Mm-hmm. And we have, I don't know, close to 100 private universities and colleges, which are not as important, I mean, uh, in the Ethiopian context. The private ones are the not par- so I mean, it shouldn't be the case, but as things stand right now, private universities do not have a central imp- importance in uh, Ethiopian higher education system, which needs to change. So because of the expansion, uh, massification of higher education that has been taking place in the country over the past two de- decades, we need to be innovative and competitive. So that is very important. So one area where we need to be innovative is when it comes to the kinds of graduate programs we run. Nowadays, most of Ethiopian universities run similar graduate programs and similar undergraduate programs. But this obviously has to change. So currently, we are uh, w- working on the strategic plan of the university. Are there other uh, universities in this region? Yes, or? in the southern region, there are about seven universities mm-hmm. currently running. And Dila University is one of the oldest, relatively speaking, because we have been there for 20 years, which is quite a you know, long context, time yes. for, 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 Ethiop- for the yeah. Ethiopian context. Yeah. I mean, in Austria, your universities have, I don't know, like... I think we just had the 650th birthday of the University of Vienna. So so your universities are quite old. Yes. But for Ethiopia, Dila University is relatively old because other universities are, I don't know, three years old, seven years old, or 10 years old. So it's one of the larger public universities in the southern region. But still, we need to be innovative 
and open new programs that are not available in other universities. But for this to happen, we need to have the academic staff who could teach in those programs. So that's that's the main challenge, mm-hmm. you know, because we get our staff from other universities, people who studied, you know, did their PhDs or master's mm-hmm. degrees in other Ethiopian universities. So you have this, you know, duplication already happening. So we have to change the staff mix a little bit to uh, launch new programs. One way to do that would be to hire staff, expat staff from abroad. And the usual destination to hire expat staff in Ethiopia has been India. Usually used, uh, we, we used to hire our expat staff from India. But in the case of our university, we ha- we're trying to change that. Also because of our location, we're located very close to the Kenyan border. And because of that, we would like to hire expat staff from the countries in the region, from Eastern Africa. Does that, the other countries in the Eastern region have more academics than Ethiopia? It, it depends. It depends. Uh, now we are, we are kind of uh, trying, basically giving it a try. But my sense is that they have more to offer with respect, with respect to some fields of study. And we might have, you know, uh, we, might, we might be in a better position in relation to others. That's why we need to cooperate, you know, with these countries, institutions, universities in these countries. In Ethiopia, whenever we talk about academic collaboration, cooperation, it's always a talk of, you know, north-south cooperation. You know, cooperation between, let's say, Ethiopian universities and Austrian universities. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are a lot of resources within Africa, mm-hmm. within the neighborhood, uh, let's say, in, in the Eastern African region, I, w- I would say. And we haven't really tapped those opportunities. So now, I think after a couple of days, on Saturday, we will have our vacancy announcement published by uh, a major newspaper in Kenya okay. with uh, wider reach in the East African region. So we'll see which kinds of professionals would mm. we would attract. But I think we could attract quite a number of professors, academic staff with higher academic qualifications. Mm. That's my guess. <laughs> we'll see. Does the sustainable development goals of the United Nations play a role in your university in teaching or research? Yes. In this regard, we're just launching a new research center on governance and development. That will be part of the College of Law and Governance Studies. Now we are restructuring our law school and creating a college, an umbrella institution for the previous law school and newly established center for governance and development. I think sustainable development goals would be one of the areas for research for this newly created institution, I would say. And do you have somehow international mobility at your university, like you did with your PhD, partnership programs with universities elsewhere? We have very few partnership programs. This is really an area we haven't really been working on. And because of that reason, 
this will be one of the main focus areas for my administration. We are lucky to have collaboration with the University of Vienna and also involving the University of Gondor and Addis Ababa University in a project relating to special needs education. That is one example and we have two or three others like that but not enough. Now as we expand our programs and plan to open new graduate postgraduate programs we need to explore new opportunities for our staff development efforts so i mean we can't meet our goals relying on uh, opportunities available within the country our staff pursuing phd degrees mainly go to addis ababa university for their phd degrees mm-hmm. that's the main institution and there are a couple other universities in ethiopia offering phd degrees in particular areas but there are serious problems in this regard because you may not be able to find phd programs in particular fields so if we want to be to 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 be innovative we need to look beyond frontiers mm-hmm. and look for academic partnerships with universities abroad Uh, like universities in Austria or possibly universities in Africa as i said we are also looking uh, into opportunities we have in other african countries south south partnerships yes. as we call them here <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, how has your life as a researcher changed since you are president of a university are you still giving lectures or are you just completely in administration and dealing with the big issues As I said earlier on, uh, my task as uh, president of Dela University is quite overwhelming. Because of this reality, it's nearly impossible to, you know, assume active part, you know, in the teaching learning process by, you know, teaching particular courses. I I, I do that as much as possible. Just last semester, I had taught a particular course, I should say co-taught where offering the course were three people offering the course so it was a kind of team teaching so that kind of relieved my uh, responsibility a bit but still i i want to teach a course every semester provided that uh, that course doesn't entail you know a lot of <laughs> classes uh, so so research i mean it's it's really really difficult to to do research in the strict sense while leading a university so that is where i see i mean a serious problem it's it's a very very difficult choice that i made i mean becoming a university administrator uh, you won't have time for research do you miss it i i i really don't because <laughs> I say this because in a way as I said earlier on my position I, f- I really found my position to be quite fascinating even from the research perspective. <laughs> <laughs> you're researching your own position. <laughs> yes. Yes, I mean I've been uh, interested in Ethiopian education, Ethiopian higher education, Ethiopian politics. But I would say I've been st- studying it from the outside you know <laughs> but looking at 
Ethiopian education, Ethiopian higher education from inside gives you a whole different perspective. So I find the experience quite invaluable in that sense. So I have first-hand experience of, you know, Ethiopian uh, higher education, the issues involving Ethiopian higher education. So the experience, uh, I would say, has been quite invaluable. <laughs> I think this, this sounds already a little bit like the answer to my last question. Okay. What are your plans for the future? My plans for the future, I think, of course, I would return to, to teaching and research. That is what, what I, I do better, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> But this has been quite an experience. It has been a learning experience. I hope I will have some contributions. But finally, I think I will, I will go back to my natural habitat, which is teaching and research. And I plan to write a major book on uh, higher education in Ethiopia. I'll write that book in Amharic, which is the main language in Ethiopia. So that's what I would like to do after this disposition. Because I, as I said earlier on, I'm, I'm not a politician. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not uh, normally interested in, in government positions. I'm still looking at this position from a very intellectual point of view. Finally, I would go back to teaching, research and writing. write books. <laughs> <laughs> writing, yes. Okay, it sounds like a plan. Kalgedan, thank you very much and I wish you good luck with your book and your teaching and research in the future and also with the current position as the president. And thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Alumni Audio Lab.